there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Taking out bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom and making sense out of medical propaganda. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty, Robert Scott Bell. It's Monday. You know what that means. It's Advanced Medicine Monday, and you know who's with me. Dr. Rashid Batar. Dr. Batar, well, I was thinking about you when I was moving your strength. I could have used you lifting some of the stuff I was having to lift. Robert, I'll tell you, this weekend was a doozy for me as well. I didn't do any physical labor, but, boy, you talk about being in four cities in 72 hours. Well, you were putting it out, major events, you were speaking. I, I imagine you were inspiring people everywhere you went. Well, it was very interesting. We started Thursday night in Atlanta, uh, Friday night in Columbia, Saturday morning in Charlotte, and Saturday night in Raleigh. And uh, it, was, it was a good, very good turnout. So we did what we were supposed to do, make the information known, loud, and mm-hmm. clear, and it was received very well. Well, you know, what we've discussed in, in, like with the Health Freedom Expos that I've attended over the years, there's something special about being in person with people as much. Also to get the feedback. Some of these stories we hear coming back from those that have heard us. But right there, the energy that's in the room, plus the fact that we're giving people information that they can actually do something with. It's not about, oh, I feel good now, you leave and you're done. It's like, no, 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 this is the stuff that will change your life. They can actually use it forever. You know, that's such a good point, Robert. I remember that prior to this conference, the other lady that was with me, Robin Oppenshaw, she told me that the one issue is that it starts getting later in the evening and people have to leave. And, you know, that's especially on a Saturday night, you'd think in Raleigh, people want to go out, do whatever, you know, spend some time with the family. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't start speaking until 8.30. I think it was 10.30, and every single person that was in the conference at 8.30 that sat down yeah. on the second segment, nobody got up and left. And <clears throat> it was very overwhelming. Afterwards, I was showing the Abby story video at the conclusion of the presentation because many people were asking, how did you get involved with this? And I didn't show it on the Atlanta presentation, and I didn't show it in the – I think I showed it in the Columbia presentation. Mm-hmm. And then at the – yeah, that's, right, that's what happened. The Columbia presentation, I did show it, and – my staff and one or two of the staff members of Robin mentioned that I should show this every time. So I went ahead and showed it in Charlotte, and I went ahead and showed it in Raleigh. Well, in Raleigh, what was interesting was it's already 1030, very, very hot. We were speaking at North Carolina State University. <clears throat> very nice auditorium, but very, very hot. Yeah. You get you know, 200 bodies in a room, the heat kind of cranks up. And I had to step out while the videos were playing because I was sweating so much. <laughs> and this is still air conditioning, but it was just really warm. Yeah. And when I came back and I sat in the back of the room while the video was playing, this lady had stood up. She was standing by the book signing table. And she turns around. She looks at me. She squats down on the other side of the table. And I figured she wanted to say something. She looks over at me, smiles, reaches her hand out, and just puts her hand over my hand and turns back around and watches the, continues to watch the video. Huh. And it was the most genuine expression yeah. of, of saying, I know what you went through, mm-hmm. and 
I'm proud of you. But she never said any words. She just smiled, a genuine smile, turned around. Yeah. And I've never talked to this lady. I don't even know who she was. She just put her hand on my hand. Wow. Nice. Like you would do for reassurance. Yeah. And not that I needed it, but it really felt good. It was just a surprising thing. And strangers wouldn't normally do that. I don't <laughs> no. think a stranger would come up and do that to a presenter. And she must have felt that comfortable to do that. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, it was very comfortable for me. Mm -hmm. She was an old lady, probably in her mid-50s, you know, six, early, uh, yeah, now early all, 60s. Now all, all of but her, it was just such a tender yeah. uh, expression of affection and genuine concern and understanding that it just warmed my heart. And mm -hmm. what the point that you just brought up, when you're in person and the energy that comes, of course, the energy for the presenter, because you feed off the audience and the energy in the room. But that's this, this what I'm talking about is even a different type of energy, one that I haven't really experienced. And you know how I've spoken everywhere, everywhere in the world. I've had you know, large crowds, small crowds, medical, scientific, lay people. Yeah. This was the first time I've ever experienced something like that. Yeah, it's amazing. This and it's only growing because, as we recognize, the old uh, thought forms, the old institutions, crumbling more every day. And you you say, you know, what's real anymore? As we as we even talked about, you know, the the unreality of what happened with that uh, event in New York just crumbling. And and you know, people want to believe. I think a lot of people do that there there's goodness, and there is, you know, in the midst of all of this. But sometimes you get in that room, you sense it. It's something that's it's really Really powerful, and I like to see that happens more and more as we go here. And I think it will, and, and that's one reason that I have shifted a lot of my efforts towards the advanced medicine seminars that you and I have talked about, and I think we've mentioned on the show before, but I'm really yes. looking forward to the first one, which we anticipate will be most likely in September, and then start moving from city to city every two months, and hopefully we can get to the point that um, you know we've got five, ten, fifteen thousand people at each event every two months. Mm, that yeah, that's it's it's inevitable. It has to happen, and this is the kind of transformation that we've been setting up for for a long, long time. Now, as we continue to bring advanced medicine on a weekly basis, as you say, there is all these events happening that we're participating in. Some out there in the in the in the the workaday world of every everyday life, and other times we put these seminars together online. Uh, the opportunities are, 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 let's say, increasing at the same time. Uh, these so many choices, the people are starting to sense the reality or the unreality of it. I guess I, I'm sort of sound redundant at this point, but it's it's just something that is happening. I keep coming back to my experience at Health Freedom Expo with Marlon and his family in Detroit, coming down and telling us what impact has been the show. And I, you know, I'm just still blown away. My heart opens up every time I think about it. Well. It's the knowledge that the message is not only being received, but being received in a way that's affecting the populations that we would have never thought, like the children, for instance. Mm -hmm. You know, who would think that children, 7, 10, 11-year-old children, actually listen, understand, and resonate with the message about health? Yeah. I mean, I, at that age, would have never... <laughs> even wanted to listen to a show, a health show on the radio. I don't know about you. No, but, no. You know, we, maybe, maybe watching a cartoon or, or yeah. watching some, um, you know, violent movie or something like that, but not listen to a health show. So you, you can see that the consciousness is awakening even yeah. at the seedling level. And it's, it's exciting. I, I can't imagine a better compliment 
when a child wants to listen to you or, or, or knows my name. Sure. I can understand maybe a patient of ours that's a child or something. And, that, and kids have watched our DVDs, and they can repeat the DVDs, and they see um, I, I've been called the wizard. Some of the kids call me the wizard. That's been my nickname in the clinic. I have no idea why, but they, some, <laughs> a child named me that, and it's kind of carried from one child to the other child. But that's within my practice. But you know, when you told me that they knew who my what my name was and that I was going to be on on Mondays, yeah. that just is strange. It's uh, as I told you, I almost thought that these children, if they didn't pick to see the Robert Scott Bell show in person yeah. as opposed to going to Disney World. We need to have them psychiatrically, you know, evaluated. just make sure they're okay. Yeah. No, it was hilarious. I know I was watching Ultraman and other cartoons at that age, but you're right. The, the consciousness shift, I, I think about the kids that are coming into being now. They're coming in to do some other 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 work. I mean, they're definitely... Without a doubt. Um, without a doubt. Yeah, without the, the consciousness that we're seeing the shift. I mean, here you got doctors that have been elevated to certain status in our culture because of the monopoly medicine and such, but the, the payoffs were never known the way they are today. Like, for instance, and Fierce Farm is covering this story. Glaxo paid a celebrity doctor, big bucks, to tout this drug called Wellbutrin. This guy named Dr. Drew Pinsky. And he's a guy I think was on MTV, and he was speaking to a lot of the young people about things. And, you know, of course, they want to get the young people on drugs. So who do they go to? Hey, here's a doctor that's got influence, uh, you know, in that market that we want. But this is the kind of thing that used to never come up to the surface for people to see. Now now it's being busted out for everybody to go, hey, wait a second here. These docs aren't all above board in what they're promoting. But the thing is that, Doctors have always been paid by pharmaceutical companies to talk about their message. In fact, now the message uh, has been through the continuing medical education forms that they don't want doctors coming to conferences where drug reps are buying them gifts or dinners or this mm-hmm. or that, the other. But I didn't quite understand what the uniqueness of that story was because doctors traditionally have been paid to do research. Doctors have traditionally been paid to promote drugs. And so why is, are they making a big deal out of this? I don't understand it because is it that the fact this is in some audiences, this is new information to them because it's not new information. Every no, major research paper that's been out there, the doctors get paid. They get paid in research grants. I'm putting that in quotes, but they are getting paid. That's what they do. Yeah, although in this time, they're saying because he was a celebrity and was has a TV show, he would be a spokesperson to promote it. Like, for instance, in this case, Wellbutrin, Wellbutrin was supposedly having a positive effect on his sex drive, except the actual effects were it was depressing on the libido. So he was promoting it as one thing, even though the study said something else because he was being paid. So there, the conflict of interest story, which has become sort of old news, but each time a new doctor gets busted, even we've talked about, uh, what's the guy, Dr. Mehmet Oz as well, uh, yeah. what he does. Well, Robert, I, you know, the thing is to me, I, I really don't see what the what the issue was. I mean, maybe the conflict of interest is, is a slight issue, but, you know, this is nothing compared to what um, Offit has done with the right. vaccine aspect, and they don't talk about that part of it. I mean, yeah, you're right. They're, they're silent it's, it's, on it's, that. It's mere pittance. This is not, this is like a fraction of a penny compared to what that bastard did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, you're darn straight. And, you know, that's a very important point. That's still seemingly in the old media, the third rail that can't be touched or questioned. Uh, anytime you know somebody does so, they are attacked viciously by someone like Offit, who is also you know profiting hams- handsomely off of the ignorance and arrogance that he promotes with the vaccine agenda. Well, see, the thing to me is that a doctor that talks about a drug like Wellbutrin 
that's no, and, and they, if they're saying that he's promoting it and he has an audience, well, every commercial on TV that talks about a drug, it says talk to your doctor. Mm-hmm. And every time a doctor talks to a patient about a drug and every time a doctor pr- writes a prescription, they are promoting that drug. I mean, I don't understand what the difference is. It's the exact same thing. But now when you talk about somebody like Offit, mm-hmm. who's publicly going out there and giving misinformation about vaccines and then not only making money from it, but then attacking those that are bringing up the facts that there's preservatives in this stuff that is, you know cons- that are made up of the second most toxic substance known to man and and mm-hmm. then we talk about the massive effect on the global economy and the actual forget about the biological effect forget about the damage and and the deterioration it, you know, sometimes people don't look at life the way they should look at, but they look at life right. from a dollar cent standpoint. And we've talked about that off the air. Mm-hmm. How some people look at things differently, and unfortunately, most people do things do think of um, everything in a dollar cent type of process. Now, look at the financial impact of each child on the economy when they are no longer able to be productive. In the case of autism, when you look at loss of productivity, not only of the child, but also of the parent, and then also of the amount of um, finances that have to be diverted towards health issues. In 2004, when I testified in front of Congress, that number was estimated to be over $8.3 million over the life of a child, per Mm. child. Yes. And now with inflation, what is the impact? I mean, it's, it's probably greater than the national deficit. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, it, I'd probably know the number if I wasn't so exhausted from the move here. <laughs> I'm just like floating through it, you know, after all the working out. But yes, that nothing gets my dander up more nowadays than looking at those docs that are promoting the vaccine agenda. Uh, despite the, you know, it, it really only takes the intelligence of barely a fourth grader to figure out how stupid it is to inject these kids or any adults with toxic poisons and expect them to be benefited by that. And the amount of misinformation the media has put out, I was amazed by the people that I spoke in front of in these four cities. They were all very well-read. They understood the importance of nutrition. That was a common denominator for everybody that was there. But at each event, I had somebody ask me, well, isn't it true, Dr. Bittar, now they don't have thimerosal in vaccines? Or isn't it true, Dr. Bittar, now they don't have mercury inside the amalgams? And I have to start talking about the ridiculousness of the whole thing and how even now light bulbs are going to contain mercury. Mm-hmm. And people were appalled by that. You, you could see people looking at each other like, what? Is this like serious? Yeah. Information just isn't, hasn't gotten through. Well, we're, we're getting it out there. We're going to continue to get it out there after this break. Dr. Batar, of course, here. We always look forward to it, and it's very exciting to have you on board. And he's got the energy today. Like I said, I'm, I'm in the, rec- the recovery zone for my move, despite the fact that he did four lectures in three days in four different cities. Oh, my gosh, the Iron Man. He's, he's, he's golden. So, Dr. Batar, thank you for being here. Of course, we're going to be back more with advanced medicine after this. See what else is in the news and what other stories we'll share with you. 866-939-BELL. All the links to Dr. Batar and the nine steps to keep the doctor away. That best-selling book, international bestseller. If you haven't got it yet, what are you waiting for? We've got those linked up in the show notes today at robertscottbell.com as well. If you're looking for FDA-approved radio, you're listening to the wrong show. This is the Robert Scott Bell Show.
taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. I feel like I should be in the moving Olympics, but I know they're the real Olympics coming up in London pretty soon, and that's interesting. But I've got a story on that. But, Dr. Batar, we don't want to jump too fast ahead because some people might not even know what Wellbutrin is for that Dr. Pinsky was promoting. Well, you know, Wellbutrin is one of those drugs. It's an antidepressant, first of all. It actually falls in the same class as the Prozacs and uh, uh, Zoloft, antidepressants that have been associated with the drugs that are from the same category as angels du- angel dust oh it, it related to uh, pcp yeah right exactly but <clears throat> the thing is wellbutrin if i'm not mistaken wellbutrin is the only antidepressant which again i don't prescribe any type of antidepressants but its mechanism of action is different than the than the prozacs and all the uh, other antidepressants okay and it actually is used Quite effectively, from what I understand, and I've actually prescribed it for smoking cessation. So, Wellbutrin may actually be one of those very rare type of drugs, such as metformin. And you may be familiar with metformin. It's used for diabetes. Right. It's one of the few drugs that have been shown, as far as I know, Mm -hmm. and I don't think Wellbutrin really falls into this category, but but, uh, metformin is one of the very, very rare drugs that has been shown to actually have a positive impact on the physiology. Yeah, now, the now life people, ex- Other doctors would argue with me, say, what are you talking about? All drugs have a positive effect on physiology. Yeah, they don't. No, in fact, most no. drugs act by inhibiting the physiology. Mm-hmm. Most nutritional supplements act by enhancing the physiology. So mechanism of most drugs is to block something. Yes. And metformin is one of those few things that actually doesn't block something. Now, I can't off the top of my head accurately state whether Wellbutrin inhibits as most drugs do or is enhancing, but I do know that Wellbutrin has been shown to be different in its mechanism of action. And for smoking cessation, it has worked. And for me, Personally, because smoking is such a vile thing to do to your own body, anything that can get a person off smoking, it, you know, it's not like they're going to keep this person on, on Wellbutrin for six months or a year yeah. but unless they are treating for antidepressants, in which case I don't agree with that. But if they're using it for smoking cessation for the you know, next seven days, 15 days, mm-hmm. I actually would not be averse to that. I guess part of the controversy is that unlike what you or, or other what I call a responsible physician would utilize something like that very short burst to achieve a very specific goal – You've got the the Pinskys of the world promoting it for anything and everything. It's kind of like if the drug industry would say, let's acknowledge that this study shows this narrow thing. And you say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Instead, of course, they have to have it all. And they have to say now it's the best thing since sliced bread. And as far as metformin, of course, the Life Extension Foundation has done it, promoted extensively some research into that showing that. Although we would say, hey, there are probably other ways. In fact, we know other ways to get people beyond the diabetes, just to acknowledge that there are some things in the medical realm that if used appropriately short term can be a bridge to another way. And that's the key point that you just said, short term, mm-hmm. because I think that any drug, if necessary, for seven days, 10 days, if you need to use it, then use it. It's a tool. But as soon as you start putting a person on a drug 
for more than two weeks, yeah. you are wrong. By definition, you're wrong. And right. every drug that people are put on, I mean, virtually, even the ones that are supposed to be temporary, like a non-steroidal, people mm-hmm. use them on a daily basis. They've got arthritis every day, year yeah. after year. That's one reason they end up going into dialysis. They have renal failure because of the inappropriate usage of these medications. We already know what the rate of death is. The third cause of death in the modern industrialized world is iatrogenic causes. And iatrogenic causes means doctor-induced. And this is one of those things we're talking about. In fact, this is the primary component of iatrogenic cause of death is the inappropriate usage of drugs. I I think if we went back 50, 60 years, talked to physicians that even utilized, of course, the medicines of that day, if they thought there would be a day when their profession was about promoting drugs for permanent use, then most of them would have said, what are you, nuts? Absolutely. Uh, Without a doubt, because... My mentors and the doctors that taught me when I was in medical school, none of them uh, believed in using drugs this way. In fact, it was considered to be foolishness to put a person on a a drug for a long period of time. Most of these docs used drugs for a short period of time, a month, two months, if if, at max. And even to me, that seemed like a long time. Mm -hmm. And then try to – that was just to get the the blood pressure to a point where they weren't going to have a stroke and then incorporate the – the life-changing habits, the, the right. re- various things that they recommended from exercise to, you know, salt reduction, which, again, that's wrong, too. I'm not saying that's right. That's a, that's a totally idiotic thing to do. <laughs> yes. But that's at least a lifestyle change that they were trying to promote because they thought that that would help as opposed to putting a person on an ACE inhibitor or a calcium channel blocker for the next 20 years of their life. Mm-hmm. So I completely agree with you and that this change where medicine has actually lost its health aspect and become a pharmacological component. Yes. I mean, remember, pharmacology is only one component of what we're taught in medical school. You've got physiology, you've got microbiology, you've got you know the anatomical sciences, and then you get into the various organ systems, and then you deal with that specific organ system and how you deal with the physiology of that organ system, the biochemistry of that organ system, the, the, the histology of that system. You go through all these different subjects, but if you had to categorize modern medicine by one subject, it is pharmacology. Everything comes down to pharmacology. And in essence, that's where the mistake in medicine has been because the only thing that should be concentrated on medicine and clinical medicine should be physiology. No pharmacology. It should be physiology. But everything we do pharmacologically is completely diametrically opposed to the physiology hmm. because everything we're doing is blocking the physiology. If you have indigestion, the doctors say pharmacologically, give them Zantac. First, give them the caraphates, you know, something that's coding. That doesn't work, give them an H2 blocker like Zantac or Tagamon. If that doesn't work, then go to an acid pump inhibitor like uh, Prilosec. But the problem is the reason they're having indigestion is because they need more acid. So if you understand physiology, you understand that every time you give the caraphate and then go up to the Tagamon Zantac route, then finally go up to the Prilosec, it's because the body needs more acid, but you coat the stomach with uh, something that blocks the acid, and the body says, uh-oh, not enough acid. I need to pump out even more, and so it starts cranking out more acid. And then, then the person's symptoms get worse, and then they start taking Tagamon. And for a couple of weeks, they may get some relief, but the body's saying, uh-oh, we got to produce even more acid. So they start override the parietal cells go into hyperdrive, and now you start having the tagamine not work, and then you go to the acid pump inhibitors, and now you've got the massive, massive overload on the system. The compensatory uh, cascade initiates because the body's saying, oh, my God, I need more acid, more acid, more acid, and we're going into this bad physiological cycle. 
because we have pharmacologically tried to induce it. Whereas if somebody understood the physiology and said, you know what, let me just give somebody a little bit of digestive enzymes, yeah, whole cycle gets broken. Wow. I tell you, everybody should go back and listen to the last two minutes of Dr. Batar. He laid it out, man. You just just one, bam, two, bam, right down and followed the track all the way down to how every aspect of what they're doing pharmacologically is the opposite of what should be done. Ah, nailed it, man. The thing is that this is uh, you can apply the same component to every aspect. I mean, look at diarrhea when uh, Somebody gets diarrhea. Why do they get diarrhea? Because there's something inside the gastrointestinal system that's irritating. So you mm-hmm. either throw it up or you get diarrhea on the other end. Yes. God, God designed our system. That if something's irritating, something's not good, what should you do? Throw it up or get it out the other end. My apologies to all of those trying to eat lunch or breakfast right now. <laughs> Don't look at what we just said, but it's right. an well, important I, thing. I apologize if I caused a problem there, but <laughs> when we look at that issue, like yes. viral gastroenteritis, mm-hmm. okay, for instance, somebody gets food poisoning. Yes. What are you going to do? The body says, get rid of it. So you get diarrhea or you throw up. But pharmacologically, what do we do? We try to come in and we try to stop it. So we give somebody something like Lamotil or Imodium to stop the bowel movements. We give them Phenagon or Composine to stop the nausea and the vomiting. Hmm. Whereas if you just let it happen, it's a self-limiting 12, 24 hours, 36 hours max, boom, you're done. The body gets rid of what it was irritating and it's fine. But when you put them on the anti-diarrheal, anti-nausea medication, you leave that substance that's causing the irritation inside the gastrointestinal system and it worsens and it worsens. If you take a person that has food poisoning or has viral gastroenteritis and you do nothing, just give them fluids, in 48 hours, they'll be better. Exactly. But if you don't and you suppress them with modium or you give them an anti-emetic mm-hmm. like Compazine or Phenagon, Guess what happens? They're going to be sick for seven days, nine days, ten yep. days. Well, the case in points of those that take the uh, liver toxic acetaminophens when they're engaged in a so-called influenza attack. And yeah. these are the people that end up going into deeper debt, this physiological debt, and struggling much more than those that are encouraging liver uh, detoxification through the process, and they're in and out much faster. And see, right here in like three minutes, four minutes, however it's been, we've used three different examples <laughs> where drugs – inhibit the physiology and mm-hmm. cause a worsening, whereas if you just enhance the physiology, just minimally, in fact, you don't even have to do anything, just, don't, just not do anything, you're going to be better off. Yes. The digestive enzymes, you take a couple of those, you know, the viral gastroenteritis or the food poisoning or whatever the case, don't do anything, just drink a lot of fluids. In your case, with the joint problems that you talked about, with the arthritic inflammatory cascade, instead of taking the acetaminophen, mm-hmm. Just not do anything, you're going to be, you're not going to have the same problem. When you have the myalgias from the, from the influenza, from the flu, that's the body responding. And then you have the fevers, that's the body fighting. Mm-hmm. And when we take something like the Motrins to suppress the fever, to take care of the body aches, we are actually putting greater burden on the liver, exactly what you said. So you see, pharmacologically, when we intervene, we are doing the wrong thing by definition. We should not be messing with the physiology by intervening with pharmacological substances. You know, it's, it's almost – I sit back and I look at this. I listen to what we're talking about. And as I say, it's so basic that you're just stunned sometimes to say that we have to do this. But like when we talked about going out into the world talking in, in person, the people are embracing it. But at the same time, it's so basic. You're saying, how how is it that – you know, the people you, you, you claim to be experts don't know this. 
I, you know, again, this comes back to the same message that you and I've talked about, but I distinctly remember that when I was in Raleigh that night speaking, one of the issues that came up was the motivation of the people that have put out this misinformation. And I think that the experts, true, the true experts do know, I think this is more sinister. And we've talked about that before. And the audience was literally mesmerized. You, you mm-hmm. would have thought that I was telling some kind of a, a f- fictitious story because of the way they were just latched on. And if it had not been the subject that we were talking about and, and the, the passion and the intensity that these people showed – because they really wanted to know. And they, they, when I said that, I said something about the conspiracy theorists that, you know, am I a conspiracy theorist? Well, I like to consider myself one of the more enlightened conspiracy realists. <laughs> yes. Nobody in the audience blinked at all. They were focused in and they were, you could tell they were tracking and they were thinking the same thing. That they, they cannot be any way that you can justify the use of mercury injecting into children, then in the amalgams, and then... If, if nothing else, then why is it that they're putting the second most toxic substance in bulbs now? Yes. You know, it, they, you could tell they were, they were just, they were getting it. They were like, this isn't right. Mm-hmm. You can say there's a mistake or they don't know it, they don't this, that, the other. You can justify it all day long. But when you start taking something in the equation that I made for them, what happens to mercury when you spill it in the high school lab? And everybody knows. You yeah. shut down the school, you evacuate the school, you block it off three blocks away. You call in OSHA, you get in the hazmat teams. Yep. You know, it's a big thing. And they all understood that if you're not going to take that same substance that they do all this for, and everybody knows what this what this is because you see it every time in a high school lab that spill mercury or something. But that same substance is now going to be in every light bulb in every house. This isn't something about experts anymore. <laughs> this is not about information that is difficult to garner anymore. This is something that borders mm-hmm. on pure evil. Yeah. Oh, it's way beyond the level of oops. And speaking of oops, we got to take a break here. Dr. Batar is rocking and rolling and carrying the day here as I'm recovering from my move. But we'll, we'll get to the Olympic story. Bizarre. The Clone Wars are becoming. <laughs> you want to talk horses, animals, and clone? When are they going to clone the humans? But we'll find out after this on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Batar. The Robert Scott Bell Show. in the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Now, Dr. Batar, you are actually, you know, do advanced medicine with your animals, I imagine, as well, because you've been raising uh, a lot of exotic and interesting uh, farm animals, etc. And there's a story coming out of the London Olympics that they've now approved cloned horses in the Olympic Games. I don't know what's going on here. What's this cloning of animals now? I didn't even know that they were cloning horses because I thought that with Dolly the sheep, they had, you know, basically put the kibosh on that. But I didn't know that there were actually animals out that they were cloning. So that's news to me. Yeah, these two companies, they call Viagen in Texas and CryoZootech in France, are very excited about this uh, supposed approval that their cloned animals can now participate in the Olympic Games. How long till they clone the, the, the humans? I mean... 
The idea of cloning, I mean, you know, taking the genetic material and uh, splicing it, duplicating, et cetera. I mean, it, it, the whole idea of genetic determinism, I mean, they're lost in the haze here when we realize, like I had this scientist on, which uh, you would have loved. We'd get, get together with him talking about epigenetics, but yet they're still all focusing on genes, 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 and nothing else. Yeah, the expression of the protein is really the key that Bruce Lipton very eloquently speaks about. That's the key. It's not the genetic expression, but it's the how the protein expresses itself based upon the environmental stimulus. Yeah, conformation or something. He talks about how the shape shifts, basically. We talk about shapeshifters, scary stuff. But, no, mm-hmm. the idea that the, the DNA basically expresses based on the environmental factors, nutritional factors, toxicological factors. I mean, it's a whole different concept. Again, coming back to the experts that they know this on some level, the fact that they would promote mercury, they know that's going to cause aberrant expression of so many things. You're absolutely right, Robert. And so that's where the sinister aspect or even beyond sinister comes in. But, you know, this thing about the cloning, Mm -hmm. it brings up other ethical issues. And I don't remember the movie that talked about Essentially, the message was where the individual that was cloned and the emotional aspects that they were going through between the clones and then something to do with the organs that were going to be harvested from the clone. Oh, yeah. Original. I don't remember which movie that was. I don't remember that movie. I do remember the movie. fragments. Yeah, I do remember the movie that they were harvesting these clones for, just like you said, the wealthy people, in case their organs wore out, they just would take them. And, of course, you know, human life is more than just flesh, blood, bones, and DNA. You know, there's the spiritual aspect, the the soul itself, the spark of life that they don't uh, account for. They don't care for at all. That's where these clone scientists are deranged because life is just a bunch of clay that they mold it to their will. And I think that with the example of Dolly, I don't know whether this article actually goes on to say what happens to these horses or what's what's the long-term consequences from the health perspective for these horses. But if I remember right, Dolly didn't do so well. She had the the normal deterioration of uh, various organ systems that that essentially started to fall apart i think it ex- it was an accelerated way that's right and you know that doesn't bode well for these horses i guess but again th- this idea that you would do this how long of course till they leap to humans you know in fact if this has already been going on that they've been experimenting with humans you just find out 10 20 years later well that's the point uh we don't know what's being done behind closed doors we know what's being done in the uh, open sector that's so unbelievably unconscionable. What are they doing behind the closed doors? Yeah, exactly. Well, this this gives an indication that there's a lot more going on. The eugenicists, if you will, born out of Nazi Germany perhaps earlier, are really still playing out their evil games. And, you know, the fact that you were able to relate this very directly to uh, a large, these large audiences and they embraced it shows, again, another co- evidence of consciousness shift because – you know, not long ago, when you mentioned even the, the C word conspiracy, you were immediately laughed off the stage or somehow marginalized. Oh, you're not credible. Now, if you're not speaking about it, they think you're not credible because That's you don't exactly see what's right. going on. That is exactly right. 
Oh, man, it's an amazing, amazing shifts that, that are uh, taking place right now. And so, uh, you know, again, we talk about the ability to go out there. Advanced medicine seminars, the, they're percolating. They're coming to fruition pretty soon. So I want you to keep keep paying attention to what we do here on Advanced Medicine Mondays, and I'll have all the links up. Of course, to the goings-on, where Dr. Batar is going to be, where we're going to be together. There's going to be some cool stuff that we're uh, on the verge of launching. And I'm, I'm very, very excited because, Robert, it's going to be, as you said earlier on, practical information, things that people can actually walk away and, and utilize in their everyday life, things that will make a difference for them. I told everybody in these four cities, the audiences, that my goal was within that hour and a half lecture that I was going to have the opportunity to share with them. My goal was to make sure that they got some piece of information that would potentially change their life. And at, at the very least, it would be something new that they could add to their arsenal of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yes. And just imagine what we're going to be able to do by having a whole day with people and provide them with all these resources and information that now they can go out and pass it on to their loved ones and allow it to permeate our society. Yeah, I think even like we do this once a week together, the show's on five days a week, we've got a six-day that I do, and it's still not enough. And even like with natural news, the idea that somebody would come across natural news on the web, suddenly they're open to a whole new realm of information that flows every day, and it begins the process of filling in the misinformation and getting people plugged into what's really happening or interpreting the news that of, of the old media in a way that helps them to become empowered as opposed to being disempowered. Absolutely. And, and at the very, very least, it makes them question what the popular mainstream media is stating and at least introduces a concept to them, the other side, the other viewpoint that they may not have been exposed to previously. Mm. Brilliant. Well, we got lots more to do. We've got one more segment to fit in here. One of the things that I covered last hour, I'll ask you about this when we come back, Dr. Batar. Some uh, news that's been floating around for years has just surfaced again, the fact that the old mummies of ancient Egypt didn't have much evidence of cancer, even the aged ones. So we'll talk about that and more after this on Advanced Medicine Monday right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rashid Batar. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Just remember this, if you missed anything that we've done today on the show, especially that which we've covered with Dr. Batar, and there's definitely some things you want to listen to again. They'll be archived up at Natural News Radio. We've got the links at robertscottbell.com as well as medicalrewind.com. All the links are up in the show notes today. Dr. Batar, the idea of going back to ancient Egypt to, to learn about what's going on today, it's kind of like even going back a few generations, talking to my father and his generation when he was alive about the lack of, of let's say, ADHD, of, of, of uh, allergies even, a very, very rare compared to what is commonplace today. Going back thousands of years, you suddenly find, hey, not a lot of evidence of cancer going on yeah i think this article the title of it summarizes everything very well why is cancer almost never found in mummies question mark and then it says a disease of modern living and i think there it just sums it up no mummy cancer of course we do everything we can to mummify ourselves while we're still living with all the toxic chemicals but (laughs) that's very true with all the preservatives and all the all the uh insecticides and pesticides that have that 
preserving type quality. You know, it's interesting too that I brought up the fact that oxygen mm-hmm. is one of those double-edged swords and how cancer cannot grow in an aerobic environment. Mm-hmm. So we talked about how oxygen was like a woman. You can't live with it. You can't live without it. <laughs> and so, of course, everybody laughed at the, at the comment. But I talked about this preservation aspect of being able to take a person and putting them into a vacuum with no oxygen, and they would look exactly that way for the next 1,000 years, 2,000 mm-hmm. years, 5,000 years. You know, you talk about anti-aging. That's the perfect anti-aging. The only problem <laughs> is that you're going to be dead within three minutes of me putting you in that vacuum. But this comes back to this aspect of mummification that you were talking about. You know, yes. you can use an oxygen-free environment and mummify everybody. And then, of course, you start looking at the aspect of oxygen and cancer and how cancer cannot live in an oxygen-rich environment. And yet, in an oxygen-rich environment, uh, that is the reason that we oxidize and we age mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the interesting dichotomy, too, because you talk about oxidative stress being also damaging to potentially um, mammalian cells, which is why we have antioxidant mechanisms as such. But there's so many misunderstandings. At the same time, we use oxygen, oxygen radicals. Our immune system will utilize uh, uh, ROS, reactive oxygen species, in defense of, of themselves and their livelihood. So it's, it, oxygen is a fascinating subject. It really is. It, it's one of the most intriguing components of, of life because, not because life is dependent on oxygen, but because the entire process of disease is dependent upon oxygen because it's all based upon oxidative stress. In fact, in the book that I talk about the seven toxicities, the common mechanism of all these toxicities is oxidation or the free radical reaction, the reduction reaction. So it's interesting where we go with this because if the commonality of all disease is oxidation and then you say, why is cancer almost never found in mummies, a disease of modern living? That must mean that there is an excessive amount of oxidation more so than there was 2,000, 4,000, 5,000, 10,000 years ago, which we know is true. Hmm. Yeah, no doubt. And of course, when we talk about innovative therapies, too, a lot of things have been done in utilizing oxygen, whether it be hyperbaric, etc., or, or ozone therapy. But they're often failing when they don't take into account all of the aspects of the nine steps to keep the doctor away. We've talked about that. Some people will get on a, a kick of one thing and forget all of the other things. And because of that, put themselves in jeopardy. That's true, Robert, but you know you brought up an interesting point here when you talked about a hyperbaric oxygen or the various types of oxidative therapies. Those oxidative therapies, we know that oxidation is a bad thing, but we're using those oxidative components mm-hmm. to – we're using that tool for, for benefit. In other words, we know that a fever is a good thing, but a high fever can be a bad thing. So – you can't just say that fevers are bad or fever is good because it's a natural response. Well, oxidation is a natural occurrence within the body, as you've already stated. And it's the acceleration of that oxidative injury that is something that's detrimental. But we can also take something like ozone, which is O3. It's a very potent oxidation agent or oxidizing mm-hmm. agent. Yes. And we can put it inside the blood, which now kills everything that would fall into the category 
in my seven toxicities, mm-hmm. the opportunistics, the third toxicity, which is the bacteria, the viruses, the spirochetes, mycoplasma, yeast, any abnormal cells, cancer cells, mutated cells. And let me explain the mechanism that allows the, this oxidation the, or the oxidizing agent, in this case, ozone, O3, let me explain quickly how this works because we know it's detrimental to the body. So why would we be putting it inside the blood to kill all these things off? And, and if it does kill all these things off, then why is it not that it hurts the healthy cells? Well, I'll tell you exactly why. Mm-hmm. Because healthy cells have a substance called peroxidase and catalase that when exposed to a highly oxidized environment will actually increase and compensate and protect themselves. So the equation right. that I make is think of a fireman going through a tunnel and there's a burst of flames, a burst of fire that comes through this tunnel. Well, he's got his fire retardant blanket, which would be analogous to the catalase or peroxidase. He pulls it over himself and that fire goes over him and doesn't hurt him. But the abnormal cells, the mutated cells, the cancer cells, the viruses, the bacteria, the yeast, they cannot compensate. They don't have the fire retardant blanket. They don't have the catalase and the peroxidase to protect themselves. So that wall of fire as it comes through, it burns everything. And that's one reason after we see the blood and we've ozonated, it's perfectly red. It's not dark Mm -hmm. and and, um, maroon looking. It's bright red because we've basically killed everything that shouldn't be there. So that's an example of using an oxidizing agent, which is detrimental but in a positive manner. Yes. When you yes. hyperbarics, for example, that's a positive use of oxygenation. But if you use it in a person that has high metals, heavy metals, you're going to accelerate the oxidative dam- damage, the, the oxidative injury. Right. So you really have to be careful because that's the uh, opposite counterpoint now. Oh, Using yes. oxygen, not ozone, oxygen, which is something good, but by putting it under high pressure with a person with heavy metals at a high heavy metal level, high heavy metal burden, you're going to cause a detriment. Well, and if there's ever a reason to read The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, learn about all those toxicities as well, get the DVDs, it's all there because it gives you that comprehensive 360-degree viewpoint as opposed to, you know, uh, nine degrees of the whole thing. And it sounds great, and it's it's applicable, but without this understanding, you can use something that could be very good and beneficial in a very detrimental way. And, Dr. Batar, that's why I love, among all the reasons that we get together each week, because we can get this kind of information out that is not getting out in this way anywhere else consistently. Well, Robert, you know that uh, I've gotten very used to this and wouldn't miss it uh, for anything. I really enjoy right. doing this with you. Well, thanks for helping me rock the health world today. As exhausted as I am, as what you've come through, I don't know how we made it, but we did. Thank you to everybody out there that looks forward to this part of the week. We love kicking it off this way. Uh, Dr. Batar is available at drbatar.com. I've got the links up at robertscottbell.com as well. And uh, as we wrap it up every day here, uh, especially today with Dr. Batar, the power to heal is yours. <laughs> <laughs> 